हेलो आई होप दिस पॉडकास्ट फाइंड यू ऑल हैप्पी हेल्दी एंड सेफ टुडे इन दिस थर्टींथ एपिसोड ऑफ स्निपिट्स वी विल बी डिस्कसिंग रिसेंट एडवांसेस इन द फील्ड ऑफ कॉर्निया आई एम डॉक्टर समीप मेहता कॉर्निया फेलो एट शंकर नेत्रालय चेन्नई एंड जॉइनिंग मी टुडे इज आर सीनियर कॉर्निया कंसल्टेंट डॉक्टर निवेदिता नारायणन वेलकम मैम आई एम हैप्पी टू बी पार्ट ऑफ स्निपिट्स थैंक्स फॉर इन्वाइटिंग मी समीप one cannot talk about advances in the field of cornea and not start with endothelial keratoplasty throughout the world corneal surgeons are shifting from full thickness penetrating keratoplasty to posterior lamellar keratoplasty for isolated endothelial disorders for instance at around 30000 procedures endothelial keratoplasties almost twice outnumbered the number of penetrating keratoplasties performed in the united states for the year 2019 though dsec may still have its usefulness in certain situations dmac has evolved to become the procedure of choice for most corneal endothelial disorders dmac is known to have better recovery time and post operative quality of vision and lesser rejection rates as compared to the conventional dsec We all know that DMEC is the more physiological of the two types of endothelial keratoplasty but the question is if we manage to have an extremely thin graft in DSEC something like an ultra thin DSEC can we achieve the same level of post operative excellence as DMEC while avoiding the complexities associated with it Desmet endothelial thickness comparison trial or the detect trial is a patient and outcome masked randomized control trial that dealt with this very question 25 patients were enrolled in each of the two arms of the study one group that underwent ultra thin dsec where the graft thickness was 60 to 90 microns and the other group underwent dmec where the graft thickness was 10 to 15 microns the indication for undergoing endothelial keratoplasty in both groups was fuchs dystrophy in 24 cases each and pseudophagic bullous keratopathy in one case each overall dmec had better visual equity outcomes compared with ultra thin dsec after correcting for baseline visual equity it was 1.5 lines better best spectacle corrected visual equity at 3 months 1.8 lines better at 6 months and 1.4 lines better at 12 months average endothelial cell counts were lesser in the dmec group at 6 and 12 months but the difference was not statistically significant intraoperative and postoperative complication rates were similar between the two groups also higher order abrasions were measured using a pentacam as a pre specified secondary outcome of the trial at 3 6 and 12 months after surgery the posterior corneal surface had significantly less coma and total higher order abrasion in dmec compared to the ultra thin dsec group posterior trefoil secondary astigmatism and tetrafoil were also less in the dmec group compared to baseline total posterior higher order abrasion increased in the ultra thin dsec group whereas it decreased in the dmec group there were no significant differences in the anterior surface higher order abrasions between the two groups yes dr samip though no doubt that dmec outcomes are better than dsec dmec is not always preferred as you rightly mentioned 
especially in single chamber ice or in aneridic ice where desec is still preferred in countries like ours in india where precut tissue is not readily available access to tissue learning for demec is also variable and with widely prevalent shortage of donor ice all of these restrict the surgical choice altogether so whenever desec is preferred over demec the surgeon should know that the visual outcome can be lesser due to the interface haze and increased posterior corneal higher order aberration as pointed out in the study but the importance of posterior corneal surface contribution in vision has already been well recognized and so is included in toric aval calculations the minuscule cut of desec graft when positioned on the posterior corneal surface changes the posterior corneal contour inducing aberrations that reduce the final quality of vision the thinner the desec graft the lesser are these changes and so ultra thin desec with sub 100 microns thickness produce lesser higher order aberration than the thicker desec graft so having transitioned from desec to demec yourself what are your thoughts on this ma'am well answering that samip i am certain that demec is the better surgical option for endothelial failure but since both the procedures have similar steps transition was nearly very smooth for me in fact many of my patients who had desec in one eye i could easily do demec in their following eye and most of them felt demec i better than the desec and what do you think about the role of nanothin desec okay Uh, the difference between conventional desec and nanothin desec lies in the thickness of the stromal tissue taken in the graft in the former it is more than 100 microns while in the nano it is 60 microns only around 60 microns interface changes are similar in both but the posterior corneal corneal contour changes are less with resultant lesser higher order aberrations in nano desec except for graft preparation and uh, more carefully needing graft handling especially in the thin ones both the procedures are the same nanothin grafts can be prepared using double pass method or also the uh, stromal skirt technique i consider myself very fortunate to have observed the legendary desec surgeon dr prema padmanabhan prepare her nanothin desec a graft and a large 9 mm graft by manual dissection when she used to perform the procedure now moving on collagen cross linking has revolutionized the treatment of keratoconus starting from the conventional dresden protocol and then the accelerated protocols to the use of hypoosmolar riboflavin and contact lens assisted cxl in thin corneas and now finally the epion technique with iontophoresis assisted cxl this procedure has undergone considerable evolution apart from its established role in keratoconus collagen cross linking in the form of photo activated chromophore for keratitis or pac cxl has been studied for many years but two major breakthroughs that have happened in the last year or so indicate that it may finally be ready for widespread use 
So first of all, Hosni et al. in a retrospective cohort study of outcomes of patients with moderately sized presumed bacterial keratitis found that eyes in the PAC-CXL plus antibiotic group showed shorter times to complete reepithelization and none of the eyes in that group required tectonic emergency keratoplasty when compared to the eyes that underwent only topical antibiotic treatment. Average time to complete healing was 7 days for the PAC-CXL plus antibiotic group whereas it was 12 days for the antibiotic only group. Also, Hafezi et al. completed their much-awaited multicentric double-mast randomized control trial comparing efficacy of high-fluence accelerated PAC-CXL only versus standardized antibiotic regimen in treatment of small to moderate-sized microbial keratitis. They found that though eyes with a single PAC-CXL treatment took longer time to heal compared to the eyes that received standardized topical drug regimen, comparable eyes in both the groups showed complete resolution indicating that PAC-CXL in itself is a potent treatment option in microbial keratitis. One of the major limitations for the widespread availability of this procedure is the need for an operating room and the associated cost that has to be borne by the patient. Imagine a company based out of Switzerland received a C mark for the first slit lamp based CXL device this year. With accelerated protocols being widely used for keratoconus now and PAC CXL requiring just three minutes for a complete procedure, cooperative adults can easily be treated at the slit lamp now. We also have some experience of using CXL for infections, don't we, ma'am? Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, we at our hospital have conducted a randomized prospective clinical trial on efficacy of cross-linking as an adjuvant treatment for microbiologically proven fungal keratitis. We compared 11 control patients on standard medical management to 9 with adjuvant cross-linking for fungal ulcers based on clinical improvement and also presence of biomarkers in tear samples. Our study showed clinically faster resolution along with lesser inflammatory biomarkers in cross-linked group compared to controls. Though the sample size is less, promising outcome encourages us to do the study on larger population. One major challenge that we faced during the study was performing one hour long adrestrogent protocol in patients with painful ulcers. Hope three minutes lithium based PAC CXL will help us overcome this obstacle, sure enough. Well, now moving on, ophthalmology is a surgical speciality with many recent surgical advances in the field. Post-operative inflammation and pain management are very critical to best surgical outcome. Both can be achieved with steroid medication. Topical steroids are common medication in the field which has beneficial effects and side effects, all of which are dose-dependent. Non-response or non-compliance are two critical things to be judged often 
before changing treatment modality. In elderly patients with poor dexterity, in patients with poor vision, and also in others with systemic debilitation, compliance is challenging. Even when instilled, only 5% of the drug reaches intraocularly due to unique anatomical barriers or washing away by tears. And eventually, low bioavailability of the drug is the result. All of this necessitates increased dosage. Is a sustained release model helpful in this situation? Dr. Sameep is going to tell us today about a novel sustained release method of steroid dextamisport. Eye drop non-adherence or improper installation, including missing the eye or contaminating the tip, is not an infrequent phenomenon. One study involving eye drop naive post-operative cataract patients found that 92.6% self-reported improper administration technique, including missing the eye, instilling an incorrect number of drops, contaminating the bottle tip, or failing to wash hands before drop installation. Dextenza, developed by the company Ocular Therapeutics, is a 0.4 mg dexamethasone intracanalicular insert placed in the punctum and into the canaliculus to deliver dexamethasone to the ocular surface for up to 30 days without preservatives. The insert delivers dexamethasone via hydrogel technology which a micronized particle of dexamethasone conjugated with fluorescent suspended in polyethylene glycol. The depot is inserted into the vertical canaliculus and can be easily visualized due to its fluorescent yellow properties. When the hydrogel component of the dexamethasone depot contacts the tear film, it swells and conforms to the canalicular anatomy. Dexamethasone is then released by the depot over the next 30 days as the PEG hydrogel degrades and ultimately is cleared via the nasolacrimal duct system after the drug delivery is complete. Results from two large phase 3 studies conducted by Walters et al. showed that there was a statistically significant difference in favor of the Dextenza group versus the placebo control group when it came to ocular pain and anterior chamber cell volume up to 14 days post-cataract surgery. No serious adverse effects were found in either treatment group and there was no statistically significant difference in intraocular pressure. Similar results were once again demonstrated recently by Tyson et al. during another prospective multicentered trial. The same group of doctors also conducted a cross-sectional qualitative evaluation of the involved individuals by taking detailed interviews lasting approximately 45 minutes. 25 patients who had previously received an insert were enrolled and the goal was to seek a deeper understanding of patient experience. 92% of the patients reported the highest level of satisfaction grade with regard to overall product satisfaction and all patients described the inert as comfortable. Beyond post-surgical inflammation and pain, the safety and efficacy of intracanalicular dexamethasone inserts in allergic conjunctivitis model has also been evaluated. 
In a randomized double-blind clinical trial, patients with the dexamethasone inserts experienced decreased ocular itching and conjunctival erythema compared to the placebo group, suggesting the potential therapeutic indication for intracranicular sustained release dexamethasone in the treatment of allergic conjunctivitis. Intracranicular dexamethasone insertion has the potential to reduce or avoid the negative impact of medication non-compliance associated with topical eyedrop regimens as well as the detrimental effect of preservatives in topical medication formulations. Seemingly simple innovation, but potentially far-reaching advantages. Now, let us talk about the common condition that has become endemic in an industrial world, myopia. Myopia or nearsightedness is a refractive disease caused due to excessive axial elongation of the eye in the growing age. Apart from poor distance vision, the disease can cause severe complications like maculopathy, open-angle glaucoma, cataract and retinal detachment. It is estimated that by 2050, half the world population is expected to develop myopia due to increase in indoor activity with intensive near work. While outdoor activity with sunlight exposure has a significant role in reducing the onset of myopia, what can be done to delay its progression? Interestingly, peripheral retinal defocus stimulates axial elongation as a compensatory mechanism. So, a positive defocus of the retina could slow retinal stimuli for myopia progression. This interesting principle is used in the study about which Dr. Samip is going to tell us now. Though advances and widespread availability of refractive surgeries have helped us get our patients spectacle-free, these surgeries don't address the pathology of myopia at its root cause that is, the axial lengthening of the eyeball. Me-side contact lenses developed by Cooper Vision, which received FDA approval last year, aims to address this concern. They are daily disposable soft contact lenses made of Omaphilcon A material and are based on dual focus optics. It has a central zone for distant correction and concentric peripheral rings in the lens to focus part of the light in front of the retina. This is believed to reduce the stimulus causing the progression of myopia. Chamberlain et al. conducted a multicentric parallel group double master randomized clinical trial of mesite contact lens compared with a standard daily disposable contact lens for a duration of three years. 109 subjects in the age group of 8 to 12 years completed the trial. Change in spherical equivalent refraction was 59% less and mean change in axial length was 52% less in the test group compared to the control group. Around 75% of the enrolled subjects completed the entire duration of the trial and no adverse ocular events were noted because of the contact lenses. Another double-blind randomized control trial called MeSight Assessment Study Spain was conducted by Dr. Ruiz Pomeda and colleagues with a follow-up period of two years. 
out of the 74 subjects that completed the trial, 41 subjects used MeSight contact lens and 33 subjects used conventional single vision spectacles. At two years follow-up, use of MeSight contact lenses produced statistically significant 39.32% lower myopia progression and 36.04% lower axial growth of the eye compared to spectacle use. Ocular aberrations measured using the Eye Profiler Plus instrument based on the Hartman-Shack principle was also performed on these subjects. It was found that the wear of MeSight contact lenses did not induce significant changes in the aberrations in anterior cornea and also total ocular aberrations in general. In the control group, however, increase in lower order aberrations was noticed over the period of two years due to significant axial elongation of the eyeball. A pediatric refractive error profile questionnaire was also administered at 12 and 24 months interval to evaluate children's perception in overall vision, near vision, far distance vision, symptoms, appearance, satisfaction, activities, academic performance, handling, and peer perceptions. The mean score of all these items was calculated as the overall score. In the MeSight group, the ratings at 12 and 24 months for appearance, satisfaction, effect on activities, handling, and peer perceptions were significantly better than those given by children in the single vision spectacle group. The overall score was also better in the MeSight contact lens group. However, near vision was significantly better in the single vision spectacle group at both 12 and 24 months. Binocular and accommodative function were measured using different parameters, but overall no significant change was noted. And finally, there were no clinically significant adverse events noted in either group, though five participants from the originally recruited 46 discontinued the usage of contact lens during the duration of the study. Cost factor, requirement of frequent regular follow-ups and strict compliance from the user's side would act as major deterrence for its widespread use in a country like India. But still, it will definitely be a valuable addition in the armamentarium of the ophthalmic surgeon in the fight against the growing health problem that is myopia. We end where we started from, endothelial disorders and the ever-evolving treatment modality against them. Though tremendous progress in the field of endothelial keratoplasty has revolutionized how we approach these patients, endothelial keratoplasty has its own limitations like lifelong risk of rejection, long-term follow-up, topical steroid administration, added cost factor of acquiring, processing, and transplanting a donor corneal tissue, and the steep learning curve associated with performing them. It has been long known that corneal endothelial cells have very poor regenerative capacity. So patients with Fuchs dystrophy and other endothelial disorders are susceptible to develop corneal decompensation spontaneously or post-intraocular surgery when a critical number of functioning endothelial cells were lost.
Let us hear from Dr. Sameen on the latest simple only DM stripping technique, uh, no surgery only injection method and about one drug which is fascinating the success of both these procedures. On to Sameen. I feel one of the most exciting new developments in this field is not a surgical technique at all, no, but a topical medication. Repasudal belonging to the class of rokinase inhibitors or ROC inhibitors. Though central desmid stripping only procedure, also known as DSO, has shown promise in select patients, the results have been variable and the time taken for complete resolution of corneal edema is significantly long. Pathophysiologically, contact inhibition is believed to be one of the most important causes for lack of endothelial cell proliferation. Rokinase inhibitors, like recently approved Repasudil, act on this very pathway and allow better survival, addition, and possibly proliferation of endothelial cells. Maxai et al. recently conducted a prospective non-placebo-controlled clinical trial on the use of Repasudil after DSO. Enrollment criteria included patients with Fuchs dystrophy who had dense gutte limited to the central 5mm of the cornea and had associated visually significant complaints. The patients were also required to have peripheral clear cornea with an endothelial cell density of greater than 1000 cells per millimeter square. Nine eyes underwent DSO only and the other nine eyes underwent DSO with post-operative application of Repasudil four times a day for two months. Patients who underwent DSO with Repasudil recovered greater than or equal to 20-40 vision more quickly. In addition, they had a higher average endothelial cell density than the observation group at 3, 6 and 12 months. The peripheral endothelial cell density did not decrease significantly in patients who received Repasudil post-operatively, indicating that probable proliferation of the endothelial cells was responsible for repopulating the central cornea. Several case reports have also shown the use of topical rokinase or ROC inhibitor drops in conditions such as corneal decompensation due to the eye syndrome, post-graft rejection corneal edema, and persistent corneal edema following intraocular surgery. A recent paper by Acheron and colleagues also showed that adding rokinase inhibitors to the storage media decreased the rate of endothelial cell loss in the donor corneal tissue when compared to the standard preservative media. Also, intracameral rock inhibitor injection has a significant role to play in the potentially game-changing cultured endothelial cell transplant procedure developed by Dr. Okumura and colleagues where it helps in the addition and proliferation of injected endothelial cells onto the desmid membrane of the host. Don't you think this technique will completely revolutionize and potentially democratize the process of treating endothelial cell disorders, ma'am? Yes, indeed. And we had the pleasure of hosting Dr. Okumura at our hospital just the last year. And considering the amount of effort their group has put in and acknowledging the brilliance of this innovative technique, I wouldn't bet against 
cultured endothelial cell injection technique becoming standard of care for endothelial disorders in the very near future samip exciting times ahead exciting times indeed i would like to thank dr nivedita ma'am for sharing her insight into the clinical relevance of these new innovations it has been a pleasure ma'am now to announce the winners for last week's question dr amulya das and dr neela dev and this week's question is enumerate five surgical procedures for the management of endothelial decompensation kindly fill the feedback form and do stay connected with us by liking our facebook page for weekly updates and next week on the 14th episode of snippets tune in to listen to the topic artificial intelligence in ophthalmology thank you for listening to today's episode and until next time stay safe